Welcome back to the third week of the True, um, the Killers, a true <laughs> crime true. podcast. My name is Mikhail. I'm your co-host, and we have Peyton, your host. I always feel like I say my name weird. No, you're kind of quiet though. I will admit. Uh, okay, I'll talk louder. No, I'm just kidding. Wow, I went deaf right there. It's the third week, and it's also Pride Month. In case you guys didn't know, you should have known. It's been. Three weeks now. Well, two has weeks. it been three weeks? It's been two weeks. It's been two weeks in a day. Two days. Oh, no. You're right. It's been... Whoa. Am I reading that right? One, two, three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Come so, on yeah, now. you're right. It's been If three you weeks. don't know what month it is and what's going on, get in the know. But today, we're going to be covering a pride case. This one there. Case of Alan Schindler. I think that's how you say it. Alan Schindler. Right. That's what it's spelled like, correct? There are going to be trigger warnings for this episode. This is a hate crime. That is not up for discussion. There is F-word slurs. Okay, if they don't know what that word is, how do I... What that word is? Because I'm not saying it. I will not. It's spelled F-A-G-G-O-T. It is very offensive to people in the LGBT community. Some people actually don't care, and they're trying to, like, reclaim the word. I'm just not about it. Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Don't use it with me. And this is a very graphic murder. Alan Schindler was born on December 13th, 1969 in Chicago Heights, Illinois. His mother, Dorothy, hated to lie. She said that she would teach her children never to lie. But with Alan Sr. unemployed because of a mysterious back problem, she needed to get a job to help pay for the mortgage. And John's frozen pizza, a friend had told her, would not hire the mother of a newborn. Little Alan was just a month old, so Dorothy lied and got the job, but it wasn't enough. Two years later, with money still short, she took on another job at Burger King, and now she could fry fries from 10 a.m. to 2.30 p.m., change uniforms, and dash across town to John's, where from 3 p.m. to 1 a.m., she tossed pepperonis onto frozen pizzas as they whisked past relentlessly. In the little time remaining, she slept, dreaming of this image, Alan's bottle of milk emerging frozen among the pizzas on the endless conveyor belt. His real bottle she barely saw. It was her Aunt Marie, living in the small apartment at the back of the house, who took care of Alan. Marie helped him through Dorothy's divorce from Alan Sr. and Dorothy's marriage to her Burger King boss, oh, which is interesting. So, this guy's name is Frank, and that's her Burger King boss, who she's now married to? Mm-hmm. Uh. So, basically, she was tired of putting up with Alan Sr.'s shit, because mm-hmm. she was working, like, two jobs, and this guy really wasn't working at all because of his mysterious back problem. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't really able to see her kids because she was working all the time, and so then she got divorced and married her Burger King boss. Interesting. Through Alan's disappointment that his stepfather had plenty of time and money for Billy, but none for his stepson, and it was understandably miserable 12-year-old who, upon Marie's death, lashed out at his mother, blaming her for ruining the family. I said, if you really think this is so terrible, go stay with your father for a week, Dorothy recalls. But Alan slammed the door in his face, saying, you're her problem now. That did the trick. Me and Alan weren't real, real close, but after that, I was his mother and father, and we never had a problem again. So basically... Little Alan was like, you're ruining this family. She was like, go stay with your dad then. And then his dad was like, you're your mom's problem now. Get away from me. Damn. And then that was that. He tried her. She was like, oh yeah, go. I mean, my parents did that. Yeah, you think this is so bad? Go stay with your dad. My dad would be like, yeah, you think this is so bad? Go stay with your mom. And it was just like a constant loop of like not belonging in Mm. a sense. That sucks. It is what it is. Frank Hades, her second husband, was a Navy man as well, and before he died in 1985, he regaled his young son Billy and his three stepchildren, Dorothy's two girls and one boy, with the tales of adventures aboard the battleship Arizona. The stepson, which was Alan, 
so-called to distinguish him from his biological father. So, like, his nickname was Little Alan. He was named after his dad. And I'm pretty sure after a certain point, he didn't really want to be associated with his dad. Because his dad sounded like a piece of shit. Um, (laughs) He must have taken his stepfather's stories to heart because in 1988, at the age of 18, he signed up and shipped out. Dorothy says, and this kind of breaks my heart, she says, I thought I was the proudest mother in the nation. Aww. Aww. Foreshadowing? She isn't for long. Oh my god. Now we're going to get into why Alan listed into the Navy. Family, neighbors, and grade school teachers and members of the Bloom High School band knew Alan, who played sousaphone. I don't know what a sousaphone is. Sousaphone? Isn't it big? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what it is. While Mikhail looks that up, he had been a C student mostly. He had taught swimming. He played football. He had gone to proms. He had sold kisses for a dollar to benefit charity. And he worked at a local pet store. A sousaphone yeah. is a very big instrument, guys. It's a valved brass instrument with the same tube length and musical range as other tubas. Everybody knew that Alan was nuts about animals, and when he joined the Navy, travel, adventure, and money for college under the GI Bill. So that's mm-hmm. kind of that's kind of why he joined. Like, mm-hmm. he wanted to travel. He had probably, again, taken his stepfather's stories really to heart. Money for college. Right. His mother had inherited four turtles, a dog, a white duck, a rabbit, and 200 garter snakes. Holy moly. And if that wasn't enough, after his first year in the Navy, he FedExed her a Chinese crocodile for Mother's Day. Alan really loved animals. Yeah. What the heck? This stuff's just showing up at your freaking doorstep from your son. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day! Yeah. Here's a crocodile. Have a white duck, Mom. <laughs> and two garter snakes? 200 of them? That's not too... What the... What the heck is a garter snake? I don't know. I think they're like little bitty tiny snakes. Harmless snakes? Okay. Like garden snakes, maybe? In this case, I think it's evident that people in the military kind of get transferred around and around and around. So before Alan went to the boat that would inevitably not cause his demise, but contribute to it a lot, he was stationed somewhere else. So we're going to talk about that first, and then we're going to get into his transfer to... The Bella USS, which was the last transfer that Alan would receive before he was murdered. So, Alan wrote to his mother, I am finally going to a special place. He wrote on the first page of his pale green notebook that he bought two years after entering the Navy. This special place was the aircraft Midway. The mighty, mighty Midway, he called it. And the notebook was to record his happiness on board. Evidently, he expected an abiding happiness for the number of bottoms pages from 1 to 192. But in 1991, he was transferred to the... Uh, it oh. was a smaller ship with a repu- with a rep... Can you say that? With a reputation for yeah. mayhem. Thank you. And <laughs> as his progressively less legible entries attest, Alan was miserable. At Christmas, Dorothy saw that he had removed the stitches from the logo on his cap, turning the B, Bella. Baloo? I'm I just think- I'm just going to say Bella. Because it's B-E-L-L-E-A-U. But he turned the B into an H. And what she didn't know was the hell that he was suffering was the hell of a gay man and fear for his life. Indeed, Alan Schindler would never get past page 64 of his journal. That was kind of the hell that he was dealing with. That's kind of a little bit foreshadowing if he's changing the B into an H and mm-hmm. making it hella. He's in he's hell. He's pretty miserable. So now we're going to get into Alan's time on the Bella USS, or hella. I might just refer to it as that from now on. 
According to several of his friends, Schindler had complained repeatedly of anti-gay harassment to his chain of command in March and April of 1992, citing incidents such as gluing shut his locker and frequent comments from the shipmates such as, there's an F-word on this ship and he should die. Schindler had begun the separation process to leave the Navy, but his superiors insisted that he remain on the ship until the process was finished. Though he knew that his safety was at risk, Schindler obeyed orders. While on transfer from San Diego, California to Sasebo, the Bella Wood made a brief stop in Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Afterward, en route to Japan, Schindler made a personal prank announcement. I'm going to read this prank announcement, don't read ahead, and I want you to see if you can decipher it. Okay. T-Q-T, so too cute, too... Then you said B? Too cute to be straight. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. I like that. On the secure lines, reaching much of the Pacific fleet. When he appeared at the captain's mast for an unauthorized radio message, he requested that the hearing be closed. It was open with, with 200 to 300 people in attendance. He had a film canister with nine studs and, provo and provocatively wore one of them to the mast. At one point, Chandler covered the microphone and whispered to the captain, You know what I am. And he was given 30 days restriction to the ship. At the meeting with the ship's executive officer, he admitted that he was gay. Schindler was put on restrictive leave and was unable to leave the ship until after a few months arriving at Sasebo and four days before his death. Wait, that's, um, okay. So basically, to me, yeah, they were like, so weird. okay, to get into this, because I really didn't explain it much at the beginning. Until very recently, I'm talking within like the last 30 years, it wasn't that gay people couldn't go into the service. They were just extremely encouraged not to. Homophobia was rampant. It still is rampant. Not as bad, but it still is. Alan knew this before enlisting into the military. He didn't care. Didn't matter that much to him. His desire to serve his country was more than that. Does that make sense? I mean, mm -hmm. it's really shitty. It's really shitty that he had to decide that mm -hmm. and try and keep parts of himself hidden. Alan had kind of hit a breaking point after being bullied for being gay. So he was like, I'm just going to make a prank announcement. Who did it go to, though? Like, I'm, that's what I'm confused about. It went to all the ships. Oh. Like, in the Pacific Fleet. Like, that's why you were only allowed to send secure messages mm. on secure lines reaching, like, you weren't allowed. Like, it wasn't funny to send prank announcements. It's kind of, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, he wanted the hearing to be closed because they were going to decide, like, what punishment he should have for that prank announcement. And he was like, hey, can this be closed? Because I am gay and I don't want, like, everybody kind of like mm -hmm. knowing that even though they probably guess like they probably know now after that announcement yeah. like i'm still uneasy about it and they were like uh no it's not going to be closed and then like 300 people were there and that's why he covered the microphone and told the captain you know what i am and what, what does that mean film canister with i don't know i um it's stated in several sources that alan would wear earrings so i'm guessing that he just put pieces of film mm. canister in his ears i'm not really sure he was given 30 days restriction to the ship so they were basically like Stay inside, don't move. Essentially. So, in the months following Alan's death, Dorothy achieved what parents of living homosexuals often fail to do, even years after effort, an acceptance of her child's sexuality. When Alan was murdered, Dorothy really didn't believe that Alan was gay. Sorry. She didn't really believe that Alan was gay. Unfortunately, it wasn't until after he was murdered that she fully accepted his sexuality. What? I should have a big issue with parents or parental figures, guardians that have an issue with some, like, their child being gay. Like, what does it matter? It's not affecting you. You think it's gonna hurt your image? Like, it's so weird. I think it's just that, maybe that older generation, too. Again, 
Homophobia was more socially accepted at this time and yeah. was a lot more rampant. I hate that. That's why as somebody that's a part of an LGBT, I kind of look up to people that were alive during that time, like Marsha P. Johnson, mm-hmm. Alan Schindler. There's another case that I would like to cover next year for Pride. Mm-hmm. I can't remember their name, so I don't want to say it and be completely wrong. But it's kind of like, we give up a lot being LGBT, but they gave up a lot more. Like, mm-hmm. A good percentage of the time they gave up their lives. Yeah. So that we would have the rights that we do today. So. Unfortunately, she now lives with the regret that it took a brutal murder to do it. For Alan had told her in a phone call from San Diego not long before he died that he was gay. And she says, I thought it was him just trying to get to me. He was always doing things to drive me crazy. He sent a picture of himself in a white tux with some girl from the Philippines in a white dress and told me that they got married. He had me going for a long time with that. It wasn't until Kathy, his sister, told me that the girl was a guy. So I didn't believe him when he said that he was gay. I thought if I just didn't take the bait, he'd give up. But right after that, he went to Kings Island near Cincinnati, a really neat amusement park, and we were in line to get on the roller coaster, and this guy behind me said, Look at that F word up there with the tattoos on his arm trying to make people think he's a macho man. That really hurt me, and I didn't understand. Interesting. So he told her already. She kind of was in denial. She didn't believe it. She thought that he was being a prankster. Did that hurt her because they were insulting him? Or did that hurt her because they were insinuating that he was gay? Not clear. I think it was both. Yeah, what do you think? I think that it was both. Because around this time, especially with the time that Alan was in the service, um, the TV show MASH, do you remember that? Mm -hmm. They made a lot of, like... They made some quote-unquote gay characters, and they were very, um, how do you put it, over the top. Really? It was, it was funny. Hmm. It was a jab. It wasn't like, oh, let's make a gay character to, like, show that they're not like this. No, it was very poke fun at. Ha ha gay. And Dorothy states, I don't think that I directly include it, because I don't think a lot of our listeners are going to know what MASH was, Mm -hmm. or have watched MASH. My grandma used to watch that. But, yeah, that's what she thought gay men were. I'm going to go off on a little bit of a tangent, but it's kind of like when you eat meat for the first time. Like, if you eat pork... I like this. Every meat after that, you're going to trace back to pork, because it's the first meat that you ate. Mm. But if you eat chicken first, every meat after that that you eat... You're always going to reference back to chicken, even if it doesn't taste like chicken all the way. So it's kind of the same thing with gay representation in the media. If you see, like, a homophobic representation of gay people in the media, you're always going to trace back stereotypes to that. But if you see a positive representation in the media, you're always probably going to trace your stereotypes back to that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Okay. That's just always how I viewed it, so I don't really fault Dorothy for not fully believing Alan whenever he tried to come out with her. Right. Because, again, she had viewed false representation in the media and Mm -hmm. was just tracing everything back to that. One of Dorothy's best new friends and major informants is Eric Underwood. Um, Eric Underwood was also a veteran. Mm -hmm. It was Underwood, along with two other performers at the theme park, that wrote a letter to the Pacific Stars and Stripes. In his five months in Japan, he had heard plenty of stories about gay sailors being punched in the face while sleeping or doused with lighter fluid and ignited. According to him, the Bella Wood was the worst ship of all. So bad, he says, that Alan, after we talked, had a hard time going back to that environment. I'd have to coax him to the door. 
He said the people harassed him 24 hours a day. The Navy says that Schindler never reported any harassment, but harassed or not, he was scared. So the Navy is like, hey, he never reported anything. He wrote, more people are finding out about me. And he wrote this three weeks before he died. Oh my god. So he said, people are finding out about me. You never know who will, who will want to harm me or cease my existence. That's such a sad, and it's all in a diary too. So he knew. He knew he was not going to make it very long. That's so sad. And the fact that the ship is known for that. Like, known for just being full of I mean, mayhem. not, yeah. I mean, just in general being yeah. the shittiest ship. So can you imagine being a gay man? That's awful. He now ate with a group of gay sailors who called themselves the Fab Five. He told the chaplain that he was gay and wanted a discharge, and then apparently, desperate to announce the truth, he went and was like, hey, I want a discharge from the Navy. Mm-hmm. And they were basically like, mm, we'll think about it. And so that's when he sent out the personal prank announcement of, too cute oh, to be straight. Hoping to get, like, a discharge? Hoping to kind of speed along the process. Yeah. yeah. And that's why he wanted the hearing to be closed. Uh-huh. Again, yeah, it was an unauthorized statement over the Pacific Command or the Pacific Fleet. Whoever else have heard the comment on the wide ocean, so basically all the other ships, got that announcement. Chandler's shipmates now knew, if they hadn't before, that he was gay. One month later, he had his last talk with Underwood. And the night of the murder, his matterdome was described to where they found him, dying on the floor of a bathroom park in Sasebo, Japan. It was half an hour before midnight on October 27th, 1992. His four countrymen and the shore patrol had come running from about 175 yards away, alerted by the seaman and a petty officer who had glimpsed part of the assault through the glass block wall and who ironically had been drawn to the bathroom by what they thought were the sounds of a man and a woman having sex. Two of the shore patrolmen went to search for a pair of sketchy described suspects, the two remaining turned to the sailor. Charles Vinn was the first to leave the bathroom in Sesebo Park. His brown leather shoes were spattered with A-type blood. Terry Heavely was right behind him with the A-type blood on his Levi's and his white Nike sneakers up on the sleeveless blue jean jacket he had borrowed from a friend. There was A-type blood on his arms and hands, too. They walked under the camp or trees toward the river. Both were airmen aboard the USS Bella Wood, and both were from the Midwest, lifted weights, and wanted to be Navy SEALs. Both were only 20 years old, and had, and now both had Alan Schindler's blood on their clothes. They needed to clean the blood off, Terry said. They went down to the Stasebo River and sat on the concrete steps of the embankment with their feet in the water. It was mostly Terry who talked, and the subject was not about what happened in the bathroom, but how they could get back to the ship without getting caught. It was only minutes that they sat there, but it seemed like an eternity. Down at the river, they headed up the road that parallels the base. They were nearly at the entrance of the fleet activities when they noticed two men running towards them. Terry told Vins not to look back, and when the men approached, he realized that they were shore patrol. Boiler technician Kurt Parsons and operations specialist Michael Johnson. Don't run, Heavey said to Vins. Step into the streetlight, Johnson said. Parsons recognized Heavey as one of the sailors that he had seen earlier that evening drinking at Nisfit Park, in which was a U.S. Navy territory that borders Sesebo Park. Have you been in the park? The patrolman asked, and when they demanded to see military identification, Vin reached into his pocket, but Hilvey said, Run, Chuck, and bolted. Vince took off too, but the Parsons had a hold of his sleeve and dragged him down from behind. Johnson pulled out his nightstick, and Hilvey came running back and grabbed the stick. Johnson was much smaller, 
Kilby staggered him with a knee to the head and then knocked Parson off Vince and again exhorted to Vince to run. They ran down the International Boulevard towards Sasebo and Parson stayed with Johnson, who was disoriented. So basically, have they not only murdered somebody, which we're going to get into the details of how Alan's body was found. And again, trigger warning before we do that, it's very graphic. But he also assaulted military police. And now they're on the run. Yeah, now they're running away. Because what they don't the want to get caught. These guys, did they even plan this out? No. Obviously not. I don't think that they were the smartest. Yeah. Um, and so, Hilvey and Vince escaped, and they raced through the residential area hopping fences. They sat down by a house and began to bite their pants in order to turn them into shorts. Ooh. I didn't read that part. That's kind of- That's kind of crazy. They're fucking ripping. Can you imagine <laughs> sitting there? You walk past and see two men, dead of night, teeth on their pants. What if they rip each other's pants? Now, can you imagine just, like, walking outside of your house and you just see, like, two men crouched behind your wall and they're just, like, biting their pants off? You wake up because you hear grunting and ripping and you're like, what's out there? <laughs> you see two military men, bloody, eating their pants. I would shit myself. I would shoot them. Dead in the head. Get out of my property. Get out of my lawn. Would you not? These two random. I don't know what I would lawn. do because you have to remember they're covered in blood. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They're covered in blood and chewing would... on their pants. <laughs> You're rabid. I would definitely <laughs> do something. I would beat them up. Terry threw away his friend's jean jacket and put on the clothes that he had taken from backyard. Yeah. <laughs> what? Oh my god, can you imagine? Wait, 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 wait. So not only are they ripping their pants in your backyard, but you have like a clothesline now or something, right? They're like, they're they're taking, you just like come outside the next day and you find like bloody ripped pants in your backyard and half your clothes are gone. Your undies are gone. (laughs) Like what? I like this Terry guy. He removed the bloody laces from his sneakers. Okay, and bloody laces. I would be like, what the fuck happened? Freaking laces. How is he walking around in those sneakers? To establish an alibi, they headed back to Sasebo to visit bars in Sailor Town. They stopped by two, but they had no money to buy drinks and didn't see anybody who recognized them. Even if somebody did recognize you, do you think somebody would look at you with all your blood-stained shit? Oh, well. I mean, they changed. Never mind, they changed. Let me buy you some drinks at 7am. Like, no. No one is out right now, but murderers and night shift people. And they're not night shift people, that's all I'm saying. They walked around some more, and they went into another public bathroom to check themselves for evidence of a crime, and then lingered on the bench to discuss what they should say if they were questioned. Okay, see, a little bit of a spoiler alert, but remember that. Remember the fact that they're constantly checking themselves for evidence, they got rid of their clothes, they bit their pants off, and now they're discussing what they need to say if they were questioned. Remember that. Okay, what is this foreshadowing? I'm excited. Hilby said that he would say that he had gone to the bathroom to take a piss and that Schindler had made a homosexual advance. This is what I was talking to you. You remember about at work whenever I was talking to you about the gay panic defense? Somebody can kill you for being gay. If they think that you're making a move on them and they know that you were gay. Seriously? They can kill you and get it's called the gay panic defense. I'm sorry. What the f- yeah, that's why I always get, like, someone uncomfortable when everybody's like, well, you guys live in X town, so, like, it's not, it's more liberal. Like, you're gonna be fine. Like, no. Shit like that still exists. 
I did not know that. Oh my god. Yeah. Is that what they did here? Is that the they were like? No, oh. th- no, that isn't what they did here. That just made me um, think about that. Think oh about my it. God. I did not. No, I don't remember that. Holy shit. So basically, Terry is like, hey, okay, what I'm going to say is I was going to the bathroom to take pee and Schindler tried to get with me. So that's what he says that he's going to say. He's going to say that Schindler had approached him with his penis outside of his pants and that Chuck would say that he saw Schindler come onto Terry like that and Terry would just lose it and lash out. Vince would later say that Terry seemed proud of what he had done, bragging that he dropped the guy with one punch. At around 3.30 in the morning, four hours after the assault, Healy and Vince got a lift back to the back entrance of the base of the military from a military policeman who had said he was looking for two murder suspects, so Schindler had died. They didn't meet the description, the military police said. He dropped them off at the base gate, and the quarter the quarterdeck watch logged them as coming across the bow of the Bella Wood at 4 a.m. Healy spoke to his shift mate, Dave Hall, who told him that Alan Schindler had been killed by four guys from the USS Dubok. Healy was trying to act like he was really drunk, but before he headed to his berth, he hid his bloodstained Nikes in the room where the ship's weather balloons were stored. Two and a half hours later, Naval Investigations Service agents pulled Healy out of his berth. As they led him down the passageway to the master-at-arms office, he passed a shipmate, Gerald M. Maxwell. I didn't mean to do it, he said, but the bastard deserved it. Fuck you, Terry. Fuck you, you fucking bitch. Fucking Terry. (laughs) I don't know how you're going to sit there and hide evidence. Come up with a story about how this... Guaranteed they were watching them. They were like, oh yeah. Like, how are you going to come up with a story about your... Like, about your fellow sailor being like, yeah, he came on to me. And then be like, I didn't mean to do it. Like, I did all of this, like, post-murder to try and cover my tracks, but I didn't mean to do it. Like, it no. was self-defense. Like, like no. Like, you obviously knew what you were doing in some capacity. Oh, he definitely knew what he was doing. He was just making it up. Because his life is going to shambles right now. He's panicking. He's like, oh, shit. Oh, I mean, shit. Yeah, oh, wow. The military. A literal person on this ship just died. You don't think they're going to search the whole freaking ship, dude? You don't think they knew you were out there? You don't, Like, he... Oh, my God. Anyway, come on, Terry. Commit another crime. So now we're going to get into the fact of how bad Alan's body was after they found him in the bathroom. In the haste of emergency, they could only make a a cursory survey of his injuries. Hold on, hold on. What? Big, big, big trigger warning. It's very graphic. Very, very triggering. That's all I'm going to say. Again, this is... It's actually pretty gruesome, pretty disturbing. Like I don't, I don't even really want to read it. I, but I know to bring justice to Alan that I have to. Yeah, it's just very. It kind of hurts to read, and it hurts to even more to listen to it because you know your mind paints a picture. Keep in mind, if Alan had not been gay, I doubt that he would have been murdered. This man was beaten to death like was killed in this intensity for being gay. This is a hate crime. So, last trigger warning. What would become almost talismanic particulars of the assault were compiled two days later on a six-hour autopsy at the U.S. Naval Hospital in Okinawa. The patient lying in the branch of the medical clinic that night had suffered at least four 
fatal injuries to the head, chest, and abdomen. He had eight broken ribs, fractures in the back of his skull, and in the bones around his eyes. His nose was broken, his upper jaw was broken, and the middle portion of his face was detached and floating loosely. There were bruises and cuts on the surface of his neck, head, and chest, and there were bruises on his brain, on his lungs, and on his heart. Can you imagine beating somebody so bad that there are bruises on their brain, their lungs, and their heart? I'm going to cry. I don't know. This is... I'm not even done describing how Alan was found, but I, I want you guys to take a couple of seconds and imagine the sheer force that even one person, let alone four people, would have to beat somebody with such an intensity to bruise their lungs, their brain, and their heart. You would essentially have to break open their chest to bruise their lungs and heart. This is a lot. Um, the pericardial sac around his heart was filled with 250 milliliters of blood, which is enough to top off a juice glass. So, that's not normal, right? No. I, again, I'm not like a medical student or anything, but I doubt that your pericardial sac is supposed to have blood in it at all. Yeah. Don't know, though. Um, his liver had been turned to a pulp, like a tomato smushed up inside its cover. And the impact of the blows to the chest had torn his aorta. His bladder had been ripped open. His penis had been bruised and lacerated. And there were sneaker tread marks stamped into his forehead and chest. The pattern of his t-shirt impressions had been impressed on his skin. Seven months later, Commander Edward Kilbane, the forensic pathologist at Okinawa who had performed more than 1,000 autopsies, would testify that he had never seen a more severe beating. The sailor's injuries were worse than the damage to a person who had been stomped on by a horse, and they were similar to what might be sustained in a high-speed car crash or a low-speed aircraft accident. That's insane. That is heavy, heavy, heavy stuff. He was just brutally beaten. In a public bathroom, thousands of miles away from home. I'm speechless. I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. Yeah. Now to talk about the trial for the murder of Alan. Piece of shit that is Terry Hulvey. I don't even care if I'm not pronouncing his name correctly. I didn't even look. Because I don't give a fuck about it. So Hulvey's attorneys made kind of a last-ditch effort to blame his actions on the combination of steroid use and alcohol. But the real defense was simply that Hulvey had committed a monstrous act and that his rage was understandable. That he had been abused before he was born. So now we're going to blame the shitty childhood route. Oh my god. Which I I understand that sometimes people can have a shitty childhood and it will make them more likely to commit monstrous acts in the future. Yeah. Not- He can't blame that on this. No. Alan didn't threaten him in any way. He just- Oh my god. Love how he's blaming it on them. My parents suck. My parents are awful. That's why I'm the way I am. Shut up. He'll be said Go to that hell, his, Terry. <laughs> He'll be said that his his mother Regina had taken LSD while she was pregnant with him, and his father was a heroin addict who abandoned him. His stepfather had beaten him, locked him up, amputated half of a finger by smashing it in a door, and called him a little f word. And he made him meet his own feces. Oh, Which okay, yeah, he's a little fucked off. Sorry. Okay, I mean, I mean his father does kind of sound like a piece of shit 
horrible the abuse that he went through, but yeah. that does not justify killing a man years, years later. It uh, just doesn't. Basically, you would think that they would have kept the families apart, but they let Dorothy meet which Salon's mother meet Regina. Why? I don't know. Um, reporters were, th- were thrilled by the prospect of the mother's meeting, but Regina wasn't about to let that happen. During recesses, she rushed outdoors to smoke, making herself scarce before Dorothy lumbered into the hall. Dorothy wasn't keen on meeting Regina either. As the trial began and the defense outlined its intention to pin the blame on Gilby's terrible upbringing, Dorothy turned to the reporters behind her and only half whispering, We had a bad life too, but my son wasn't a murderer. Which you go, Dorothy. You go. Yeah. The Navy had already cut a deal with Vince, who, unlike Gilvey, had refused to talk to the NIS officers without a lawyer. Not even Schindler's mother knew that Vince had been court-martialed less than a month after the murder and had received a four-month sentence. But the media from all over the world focused on the case. There was no way that the Navy could ask for anything less than life for Gilvey. Holy moly. So... The Navy, how did the Navy cut the guy the other deal? Like, why? No offense, he wasn't as stupid as Terry. Yeah. So he wasn't, he wasn't talking to the Navy investigators without a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Because he knew. I mean, he still served jail time as an accomplice and, yeah, for the murder of Alan. But Terry was just an idiot and his ego got in the way and he thought that he could make up excuses and get away with beating Alan to death. Yeah, makes sense. So now we're going to get into the reasons why why Terry supposedly killed Alan from the interview. Yeah, get ready to get pissed off. Oh, stop. Oh, no, I'm not ready. Okay, go. He says, We were just doing the Navy thing, says Healy, who is from Frederickstown. We were just drinking and fighting. It happened so many times. I can't count them. That's all we ever did was drink and fight. I was having fun and this dude ended up dying. What? We were just having fun. I was big time against them, says Terry with a wide grin. That's what was bred into you as soon as you got to boot camp. It was banged into your head. The navies and gays are not compatible. It's like a big joke. Throw them off the ship. Okay, obviously not, Terry, because Alan was a navy sailor. Yeah, what the- Obviously not, because there were other gay sailors in the navy. So obviously it wasn't beaten into your head that fucking hard. I'm just baffled by this. This guy's like, oh yeah, we were just having fun. He got in the way. Sorry. Sorry, the guy's gay. He deserved it. He but sounds like my... Fuck you, Terry. He sounds like my abuser, like, constantly changing stories, because that's what my abuser did whenever because... we had our court trial, is he changed his story, like, five different times. Are you serious? Yeah, he did. And that's what is reminding me of Terry, is the fact that he's like, he came on to me. No, no, that won't work. He showed me his penis. No, that won't work. Um, It was just a Navy thing. We were just yeah. having fun. It's just boys being boys. No, yeah, no, that won't you. work. I had a shitty childhood. You know, just like pulling every excuse out of the book, trying to find his, like a little rat, trying to wiggle their little way out of it. Like just, you owe Dorothy the truth. Yeah, you do, Terry. Just tell her the truth. Tell her that you hated gays and you hated Alan or whatever. Because he was gay. But you owe her the truth. You know what? Fucking, yeah. You're a piece of shit. I'm done. I don't like Terry. On the night of October. Guess what? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he's obviously stupid. Okay. No offense to anyone in the military, but you're pretty young. 
when you enlist and you're not too bright and it's like mostly men unfortunately and when they get around each other i don't know man i don't well, it's know it's kind of like the same thing if you go to like a college town and you go to a frat house there's yeah. so many like and they all feed off of each other that that like toxic masculinity that's all i'm gonna say it's rampant Okay, back back to the case. Nikhil's getting a little Sorry. bit too pissed. Um, the 9th of October 27th, Healy says he and Vin's friends and workout partners saw Schindler enter the bathroom and followed him. Terry says that it was inevitable that something would happen. We walked in there and went up to him. I mean, I hate to think of myself that way, but it's true. He looked at us. He knew it would be a fight. He started to throw a punch, and as much as I enjoyed fighting, I hated getting hit, so I hit him. Not only had Terry admitted his guilt, but seven hours after the murder, sleeping soundly, he told a Naval Criminal Investigative Service special agent that he'd do it again, and that he always wondered what it felt like to kill a guy. So, I call oh. fucking bullshit on the fact that you didn't plan this, or that you didn't mean for it to happen, and that it was just a Navy thing, that they you guys were, were just getting it. drunk. They were planning it. Whoa! Idiot moment. I freaking read ahead. Shut up. And I'm upset now. Stop. Stop. He says he waived his rights. Well, he is an idiot. Obviously, he can't even freaking ask for a lawyer. (laughs) In his four-page statement, he says homeless... Did we say No. This just hurts to read, like, especially as somebody that... Homosexuality is disgusting, sick, and scary, and I hate homosexuals. The agent suggested that he express some remorse, so Terry wrote, I regret this incident happened, and I felt like it could have been averted had had homosexuals not been allowed in the military. So basically, Terry's trying to say that it's Alan's fault for being in the Navy in the first place. I'm sorry. I- Wow. This man, a piece of work at 20 years old. He- This is the type of- You will meet people in life that- you're like, dang, this person's actually really fucking annoying. They probably never got beat up, huh? And Terry is one of those people that never got beat up, but he really needs to get beat up. Really needs to get beat up. I mean, he did get beat up by his stepdad. That's obvious. It's there. The man's got mommy and daddy issues. But anyway. Vince was prepared to testify against him to say that Healy hadn't just bumped into Schindler, that he had been stalking him. That he had kicked Schindler through as if he were a soccer ball, systematically working his way down from his head to his chest to his groin. And then after running away from the two shore patrolmen, Terry suggested that they clean themselves up and then stop at some bars as an alibi, which they did. He has told several versions of what happened that night. The first was that he acted in response to the homosexual advance from Schindler, who had frightened him by exposing himself. The next day, he admitted that Alan was not exposing himself, just to touch, had just touched his shoulder, smiled, and said hi. But that was enough. I am afraid of F-words, and I was scared, he said. And then, it, and then he said it was actually Vince who killed Schindler. But a month before his trial, he signed a 13-page single-spaced confession that basically agreed with Vince's account. This guy is just, wow. So now not only is he trying to flip his story again and say that it was his friend that killed him and he wasn't involved at all. But then he was like, oh no, I guess I should fess up and say that I actually did. 
He keeps switching his story so much. So his current version of what happened that night is this, that there were no touching or smiling on Alan's part, but still, Terry hit him once in the jaw and kicked him once in the genitals. Alan fell, and Terry put his foot on his throat and said, don't get up. Then Vince kicked him three times in the head, stomped on his chest, and that was the end of it. When they left the bathroom, Schindler wasn't in such bad shape, and someone else must have mauled him. He doesn't know who. At one time, he suggested that it was the paramedics. <laughs> are, you, are you serious? No, so this, so this motherfucker is like, okay, yeah, so we messed him around a little bit, but we didn't kill him. It yeah. was the paramedics. I only, I only hit him in the head a few times, you know? I only kicked him in the balls once. Like, no, no, you didn't. You sat there and beat him to death. Let's be honest with ourselves, Terry. You're rotting in prison. Let's just be honest with ourselves. Terry is serving a life sentence in Fort Leavenworth in Kansas. So this motherfucker's never gonna get out. No, he's not. I hope he never gets out. I hope I hope he dies in jail. I hope he is somebody's bitch. I'm not even gonna lie to you. <laughs> I do. He deserves it. He probably is. So now we're gonna get into how Alan's mother is dealing with his death. And this is really sad. Kathy, Alan's sister, has urged her mother to move into a nicer house, but planted in her armchair, glancing first at her curio cabinet crammed with dolls, and then a boomerang and a black velvet map brought back from one of Alan's adventures, Dorothy appears unable to move. Not that she loves Chicago Heights, a woeful town of 36,000, some 30 miles from Chicago. It's a 100-year-old frame house that cost $10,900 in 1969, and probably isn't going to fetch much more today. Why? This next part makes me sad. A rainbow banner flies from the porch. A plastic goose and a miniature windmill stand sentry in the pebbled front plot. So she's flying a pride flag for Alan. You know what, Dorothy? You deserve this. My, my, my lady Dorothy. Inside, the house hardly seems large enough for Dorothy and 18-year-old Billy to move around in, but hovel or not, it's the only house Alan knew. To leave it would erase him further. His tiny room has been preserved as it was, except for the emptying of the fish tank and the adopting out of the parrots and the removal of the huge cage in which Alan kept his three-foot-long monitor lizard. Junior, he named it, would seem after himself. Alan wanted to work at the zoo... Or at SeaWorld, Dorothy says, when he got home from the Navy. She spends little time in his room, unnerved, perhaps, by the photographs of the Midway lovingly arranged on his sea blue walls. This is so sad. Alan is buried at the Evergreen Hill Memorial Gardens in Stager, Will County, in Illinois. This is exactly why we celebrate Pride Month. Yeah, for people like Alan. Alan R. Schindler was murdered just because he was gay. He was serving our country, too. Just because he was gay. That's it. That's the only reason. Terry knew that he was gay. He he wasn't hurting anyone. Didn't like it. And so he killed him. In the bathroom in Japan. He probably wanted his mom. What do you mean? Like Alan when he was being beat to death. He probably wanted his mom. That's so sad. Don't say that. That's so sad. And you know that if I'm thinking of it, Dorothy probably is. Yeah. Oh my god. Peyton. I don't want to think about that. That is very sad. Do you think it still happens today? I guess often. What, hate crimes? In the military. Against gay people. 
I don't think. So not to like not I don't, physically, right? I don't think so much now. There are rules and stuff in place now. Mm-hmm. Don't ask, don't tell was lifted. I think that that helped a lot. Um, I think that you look at all the deaths that happen, even to women in the military, let alone LGBT people. I think they're trying to be more preventative. Mm-hmm. I think that they have rules and laws in place to try and protect this from happening again. I hope it doesn't. I hope so. Not to be that person, but this is exactly why LGBT people get a whole month. You need a whole Um, eternity. Straight people don't have to fight for the rights to adopt. Don't have to fight for the rights to get married. They also are not going to be killed and brutally murdered in other countries for being straight. Mm -hmm. You guys don't have to fight to get gender-affirming care. I'm pretty sure there's, like, a transgender bill up in the air saying that we can get denied by healthcare providers. Really? Just because of gender dysphoria and being trans. I... Um, I'm pretty sure LGBT people are allowed... I'm pretty sure that gay men are allowed to donate blood now, but I'm pretty sure they still have to abstain for three months. Yep. From sexual activity. It's just three months instead of six. Yeah. But still, though... Still, like you're gonna tell me, you're gonna tell me, like, no offense, but like, some guy or girl or non binary straight person can go around and have sex with like five different partners and then go give blood. Like, 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 they can sleep with five different people in like three months, and meanwhile, like, LGBT people or gay men, even if you're only going to sleep with your, like, boyfriend that you've been together with for, like, eight years, mm-hmm. that you can't donate blood unless you haven't had sex or anything for three months? That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And, like, it's Discrimination. Still That's yeah. what it is. It is. And then they, they're like, oh, yeah, when Pride Month comes around, excuse me, all the fake companies will gimmick it up, use it as, like, a marketing yeah, tactic, yeah, it's, and it's like, fuck you. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Fuck you. Yeah. No, I mean, like... I just... This was... Wow. You really laid it on us. I'm sad. Yeah, I'm sad too. Um, I'm sorry, Alan. I wish that you could have been here to be open and proud. You deserved this. I hope that you're safe and not in pain. Thank you, Officer Alan Schindler, for your service. Thank you. As Alan wrote in his green notebook before his death, if you can't be yourself... He wrote in his journal, then who are you? That really, that's a good quote. That quote, I will get that tattooed on me. I'm so <laughs> serious right now. You're going to get a tattoo. It's so... I'm going to live by that. It makes you sit and think. If you can't be yourself, then who are you? Because, it, like, if you're constantly changing yourself for someone else or just to be liked, you're, you're it's going to get bad after a while. You're like, who am I? Like, not who I want to be. And you're going to be miserable. You're such a good ally. If you can't be honest with yourself, then what are you doing? Hmm? Okay, so there is a reason why Mikhail and I have never used pronouns for each other on this show. And that reason is about to be lifted. Alan's quote really spoke to me, and I'm going to essentially come out on the podcast. I am a non-binary trans mask person. 
I don't want to say like I'm fully transgender because mm-hmm. I feel like that's invalidating the trans community. Yeah. But I guess that's probably what I closely identify with. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So there's a reason why we've never used pronouns. Mm-hmm. I think that the only thing that they know about us is what like we're white. We're white. We work at Walmart. And we live in like Oklahoma. Yeah, just Oklahoma. And what? Um. So my pronouns are he they, and Mikhail's pronouns are she her. So yeah, uh, Mikhail, I don't think is part of the, you're not part of, you're straight, right? Uh, yes, I am straight. Okay, see, Mikhail's just a really good ally. I didn't want to, like, be like, Mikhail's straight, and then you'd be like, actually. Come out, right now. <laughs> now, um, I want to talk to Peyton personally about my sexuality off the air. I don't remember. I don't think I've ever talked to you about it. I don't think, so. I don't think I've asked. I don't mm-hmm. like to, I don't like to come out and be like, hey. What do you I don't to? like to put people on the spot yeah. because some people aren't ready. And again, I know some of my family members listen to this podcast. So, um, I've struggled with my gender identity for about five or six years, a really long time. And I think that if you're like my friend or somebody, n- I don't want to say like not family because that makes it sound kind of, um, if you know me outside of a setting to where you don't have prior expectations placed on me, you can see that I've struggled with this for a really long time. Like, what, we've been friends for how long? Six months. Yeah, like, we've been friends for six months, and I think that it was pretty obvious that I struggled with this. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you can what? <laughs> what do you mean? Well, like, just you, like, I feel like you'd come to me and you'd be like, hey, I have found it out. And I'm like, <laughs> what did you find out? <laughs> just waiting. I would literally have mental breakdowns at work. And yeah. I remember talking to, like, three coworkers at one time. And I was like, what do you guys mean you've never wondered if, like, if this happens? Or, like, you guys have never, like, wanted to cut your chest open or whatever. Uh-huh. And, like, get rid of your, like, feminine features. And they're like, no. I've never wanted to do that. And I'm like, okay, just me then. <laughs> also... I am on testosterone, so as the episodes increase, you guys will probably hear me going through second puberty, probably before the first season is up. Second puberty. So. We love puberty. I'm so excited. So. so Yeah, don't make fun of me, I guess. Peyton's voice is going to get so deep. Hello. I'm your host. I don't think it'll be that bad. I don't think it'll, I don't think it's going to be as noticeable as we think it. It's going to be. I think that, like, new viewers, like, if we get yes. new viewers on, like, episode 18, I feel like they're going to notice it immediately. Like, Whoa. Versus as, like, viewers that will hopefully stay with us for a while. Mm-hmm. People that have heard you from the beginning. Yeah. Now to plug the social medias. Woo! Okay, guys. I'm being for real. If you guys don't give us case recommendations, we're going off the rails. After our second podcast, I'm gonna let Mikkel do whatever she wants, yep. and if you guys don't like it, you don't like Y'all it. Y'all are gonna be real mad because I'm gonna do some crazy stuff. No, you're not. You've already told me what you wanted to do for episode five. Yeah, episode ten, we're going off the rails. What? <laughs> what do you mean? We're going off the rails. <gasps> I'm kinda, I don't know. Okay, I was like, I don't know. Um, <laughs> Peyton's like, no, we are not. Yeah, what do you guys want to see? I know a few of you. I know. Some listeners, personally. So, whatever you guys want to see, whatever you think I should post, please feel free to follow on Twitter, Instagram, and email us at our email, um, thekillerspodcastmp at gmail.com. And then our Twitter is, is 
just podcast killers, yeah, right? Podcast killers. And let me see what the Instagram is. And then um our Instagram is just The Killers Podcast. Yeah. With like no spaces or anything. And it has the picture on Spotify and everything, so yeah. Email us. I'd really like to know what you guys want to see. Any big cases. <laughs> Should we tell them what we plan on doing? You can tell them what you plan on, mm, what, for the next episode? For or no, episode the fi- five? Episode five. Uh, yeah, you can tell them. I don't care. All right. If you guys don't come at us with suggestions, again, I'm just going to let Mikhail do whatever she wants. Well, no, I'm not is... going to. Excuse me. Oh, you're not going to tell I'm them? not going to tell. No. I think it should be a surprise. <laughs> I'm just bad with keeping secrets like that. I'm not bad at keeping secrets, just... Yeah. Bad with, like, <laughs> gifts and surprises. Whatever. Okay. Well, I guess we'll see you guys next week. Um, happy Pride. Happy Pride. Next week is another Pride case. Mm-hmm. It um, will be the last one, yeah. right? Yeah, we could do... Let um, look at the calendar. No, it'll be the last one, because whenever we release the... We could do the fifth a- episode. It's going to be in July. Oh. Why? What? Because they come out on Fridays. Oh yeah, sorry. Like we, I know, I know that I, we, rec- we record yeah. them on Wednesday, Thursday, but they come out on Friday at I know. seven a.m. I was looking at, I was like, Wednesday's the thirty. What are you talking about? <laughs> Dang. Okay. Well, next week will be our last Pride case for this um, year, anyways. Yeah, it's gonna be another big triggering one. Pretty big. Um, don't spill the beans. Mass murder. Mass murder. Mass murder, not individual. Or- Politically charged. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. I forgot. <gasps> yeah. True. True. What? Why are you doing that? Might we might have a lot to talk about, a lot, a lot. Cause that's a pretty interesting. Cause we could go into the. The triggering of that shooting, go into that too. Talk about that. Yeah, I don't really understand the triggering events behind that I, one. It's interesting. Like it makes sense to me, but I'm not. Why? I don't know enough about like those specific events. Yeah. Military once again. Wouldn't you know? Oh, it is. Yeah. Wow. That's okay. We didn't plan that, guys. No, I actually had forgotten about um, the murderer in this case until very recently. Mm-hmm. And Mikhail and I looked it up and thought that it would be a good case to cover for Pride. Yeah, and there are forty nine victims in it. Um, I will be naming them at the end mm-hmm. of that episode. So if you guys don't enjoy that, you can. Um, you better you know you better sit and stay. <laughs> Honor them. I'm serious. I better see <laughs> 20 starts, 20 streams for that podcast. Yeah. We can tell. It gives us the usernames and all, y'all. Whoever doesn't freaking watch it. I'm kidding, it doesn't. No, I'm we just don't. Scare no. people. Yeah. Don't scare them. Watch you have a listener from Germany. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you Hello. Just, like, you just sound like a three-year-old. You're like, Hello. Hi. How are you? Supposedly. That's what the beta maps show. Interesting. Is that we have a listener from Germany. So, uh, That's very cool. People are just like scrolling through the podcast. Okay. Section. Sorry, guys. We've kept no, you here for I'm a long sorry. time. No, I'm sorry. Anyway. Anyway. All right. We'll see you next week for real. Thank you for tuning in this week on the Killer's True Crime Podcast. Have a great day, y'all. 